to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, social media and veterinarians, what's that all about? You want to stick around for this one. I got a page, but I'm about to switch all that. Because Facebook be trying to play me, now this shit's all whack. Why they always want to change things behind my back? And just because I'm online. This week, we are so excited to be welcoming Caitlin DeWild, our veterinary profession's social media maven. She has built an empire out of helping our veterinary practices understand how we can use social media to leverage our relationships with our clients. And she's got some exciting Facebook news to share with us here on the podcast today. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. I am the empireless Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician Becky Mosser. And we are so delighted today to have Dr. Caitlin DeWild here, who is going to talk to us a little bit about her story, and the impact of social media on the profession. So thanks for being here today, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Well, Caitlin, just a little bit of background on you. Where do you live? What do you do? Sure. I'm from, uh, I grew up in central Illinois. I live in St. Louis, Missouri now. I practice uh, just a day or two a week and in a small animal practice. And then the rest of the time I spend um, coaching clients and working with veterinary practices all over the country. Um, as part of my social DVM team. So when did you become a veterinarian? 2009. I'm a University of Illinois graduate. Okay. And so I guess before all of that, why did you decide to become a veterinarian? Oh, man, that's the loaded question. So I'm one of the few veterinarians that didn't know that they were going to do that until they were very later on in the planning stages. So um, I, you know, was every five-year-old girl wanted to be a veterinarian and then kind of forgot about it. And I actually thought I would be an orchestra teacher and a cellist. And my parents were like, yeah, I don't think you're that good at that. <laughs> I don't think that's a great, great career choice for you. Um, so uh, my mom actually signed me up for a job shadowing program when I was a senior in high school. And I was so upset and so mad. And I said, fine, I'm good to go, but I'm only staying till noon. And, and they said, okay, just go give it a shot. And I called them at like 930 and was like, yeah, just pick me up tonight at seven. Like I couldn't get enough of it. It was great. Um, so just the interaction with people and just the, the different challenges that the job presented uh, just really drew me in. And, and I obviously have been stuck ever since. Interestingly, uh, Caitlin, you're actually not the only musician who ended up using veterinary medicine as the more practical alternative that we've interviewed on this podcast, <laughs> oh, really? which I think is fascinating. Karen Bradley it was a flautist. Oh, there yeah, you go. Yeah. yeah. And I had a top 20 hit. So yes. I mean, there you yeah, go. This, is, this is a big deal. But getting back, uh, aside from the world of Yo-Yo Ma, right. um, <laughs> so you're a senior in high school when this happened? Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's still pretty not, young. Yes, I mean, not, yeah. not, not super super late in the game, but yeah, I just hadn't even thought of it. So I was kind of in trouble because I'd been, you know, taking all, you know, orchestra classes <laughs> and music theory, and they were like, yeah, you're going to need some chemistry. Like, yeah, oh. but it's still high school, <laughs> yeah, so totally the, the world's wide open. Okay, so then you go to this veterinary school. You said it was called Illinois or something? Oh, uh, yeah. You okay, yeah, I never heard of it, but I assume one. it's real. Um, <laughs> and uh, so after you get your mail-order degree, where right, do you mm -hmm. go then? Yeah, so I actually planned to go back to Central Illinois and, and work in that mixed animal practice, and I married someone whose job did not facilitate that at all. So uh, we had to live in a city, and so the choices were Chicago or St. Louis, and I hate the cold. So St. Louis seemed a slightly bit warmer, so we ended up in St. Louis, and I um, worked for one of the corporate uh, clinics for a few years. And then in 2012, 
I kind of thought, you know, this isn't really working for me. And I was just really desperate for a change. And I took this job uh, at a practice in what I call a sub-rural area, which is kind of like <laughs> on the edge of uh, city versus meets the country, I guess. And so I took that job in 2012 because the practice that I was going to did not have a single computer in the building. Nice. And I thought, well, if I wanted a challenge and something totally new, this is it. <laughs> so, so how many computers did they have when you left? Uh, four. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, progress takes time, yeah. so you yeah. know that's a big but, step for a lot yeah. of people, and uh, yeah, and I'm sure those were Microsoft-based uh, uh, PCs. Oh but, uh, yeah, anyway, they were. I'm just they joking. Were. Okay, so so you're now now you've sort of you're only doing this uh, veterinary practice a couple of times a week, mm -hmm. but what are you doing? Explain to the audience sort of what this other part of your life is. Yeah, so most of what I do is I, I work one-on-one -on -one with a lot of clinics so that they can learn how, like the ins and outs and the nuts and bolts of, of social media and online reputation management and kind of marketing their practice. So sometimes that means that I go into clinics and I train, you know, a staff or maybe one key person. Um, sometimes I'm just working from home, like on the phone with some of our, you know, kind of our key veterinarians in our industry and coming up with strategies and ideas for them in terms of content. Some of the times we're actually creating some of the content for them, um, but a lot of times we're just trying to figure out ways to help veterinarians get over that hump. You know, it can seem like a daunting task to get on social media and monitor everything and constantly be aware of what's going on online, but it, it doesn't have to be that hard. So just trying to kind of be the liaison between the nerdy tech speak and the, you know, meeting the practicalities of getting it all done while you're trying to do 9 million other things in practice. And obviously, there's a huge need, you know, for this service. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of you doing this. But I guess I'll dial it back one step further. Why? I mean, like, you know, where you like found your own social media all the time, you go, hey, I want right. to explore this more. I mean, how did you stumble into this? Yeah. So when I was at that practice that uh, had no computers, I started, and that was a, a much more forgiving time. I'll say that uh, in terms of Facebook, <laughs> but we started a Facebook page and I taught myself how to build a website and I started doing more of this. And I realized what, how much that was bringing into our practice. It was, it was really making more loyal clients and they were really appreciative of that. And I was able to reach a lot more of them, which was pretty cool. And again, this was a, a little bit different in <laughs> time with uh, how we can reach some of our clients without paid ads. Um, but at that time, it, it was just so impactful. And as a veterinarian, at the same time, I was starting to get more and more clients coming in my exam room and saying, well, you know, printing out a bunch of stuff that they found on Google. And it was all crap. You know, it was all like, this is not reliable, trusted information. And so I realized veterinarians are are missing a huge opportunity here. They really needed to be out there and putting out reliable information because people were looking for it. And they were starting at that time to use social media more of it as a search engine or as a news source. And I just wanted to make sure that we were, you know, kind of at least in the race um, on making sure that the content that they could find was good information. Absolutely. And so how did you get started? What, what were those first baby steps and, and how does that compare to, to where people get started these days? How does that environment look different? Yeah, it, it certainly is different. And that's one thing about social media that can sometimes make it hard is it's ever changing, right? So um, we never know what the future will hold and what new platforms will be out there and what new algorithm changes will present themselves. But, you know, when I started, it was very easy that we could just 
put out a lot of cute puppy photos to get people in and then share articles in the meantime. That doesn't work anymore. So unfortunately, now we, we're finding that you really have to be more comfortable with video, for instance. You really have to be more willing to give of yourself in terms of putting yourself and your, your practice out there and showing people a little bit more um, and really being more of a storyteller. You make such a, a good point there. When I think about the necessity and, and the need for the communication with the clients from a web-based platform, it's really almost essential. And now it's getting to be that there's so many different platforms out there. Um, it gets almost confusing. So how how do you recommend that a practice goes about starting to sort through all of these things? Like, I mean, other than calling you and telling you to come in and help them sure. learn all this, <laughs> how can they start to learn and navigate? And what do you think are the most important elements for practices to start getting a grasp on. Yeah, so traditionally Facebook is going to be the biggest platform for most clinics, you know, that's got the most users and the most uh, daily usability. So every clinic, in my opinion, should be on Facebook. I actually don't think that every clinic needs to be on all of them though. Uh, you have to kind of pick your battles and what is important to your practice. So polling your owners might be a really good option if you've had any type of software that's been tracking where your people are coming from. So whether or not you're using you know, your practice management software and your client registration forms to find out where the people are finding you, that may give you some clue as to where, where you should be if other than Facebook. Um, most practices honestly need one place and that's it. And that's okay. I don't think every practice needs to be on Snapchat and Instagram and Pinterest and, and Facebook. And there's just not enough time in the day to do that and to do that well. So I go for a quality over quantity approach there. Absolutely. And and scheduling the time to put all of that in, especially for those folks of us out there who are busy professionals, whether we're veterinarians or practice managers or veterinary technicians can be so challenging. What advice or recommendations do you have for folks about managing that time piece of it? Yeah, so I think it's really important to schedule the schedule your content, but also schedule your time. So, you know, if you have technicians or associate veterinarians or practice owners or whoever is responsible for your social media, that needs to be something that's down on the books. You know, every, every Tuesday from three to four, you're going to be doing social media. Um, I think that makes, makes it a lot easier. So you can actually get the content out there and you can actually schedule your posts for a lot of Facebook, for instance. Um, but also, I think it's important that you schedule the time to monitor things. So let's say you want to take a take a quick uh, break and, you know, I need to check out all my reviews on Google, on Facebook, on, you know, wherever. That needs to be part of your, your week, okay? So to set aside that time um, can really be helpful. So I, I love the idea of, uh, and, and no big surprise coming from me, right? But using this as an opportunity to use your support staff to take a hold of this and to really have a way of having them have fun at work, but also, sure. um, you know, another responsibility that makes a support staff member feel essential and an important part of a team if that's their strength. And so do you kind of recommend that as well? And are there are there education platforms that you find helpful in learning how to go about all this if you wanted to assign it to a team member? Sure. Um, so I, I agree. I think it's really done best. The clinics that I see do a really good job of this on social media in general are using a team. So maybe there's 
four or five people at the practice that are interested in contributing and creating this content, but also so you don't get kind of burned out on it, right? So um, a lot of practices will actually have a rotating team. So maybe it's, you know, a technician's turn this week and next week the practice manager does it or, or whatever else. Um, but I think that that helps make sure that there's not one person's voice coming out as the practice. We're, we're a practice as a whole. So if you get a couple people involved, then that's um, more helpful, I think. Well, obviously, the news in 2018, early 2018, is that Facebook is changing the way items appear in your news feed. Obviously, this is in response to some of the controversy around the fake news in the election of 2016. And so I think Zuckerberg, Mosseri, and others within Facebook organization have come out and said, you know, we're maybe going to tweak and change our direction slightly. I guess to me, I want to get your thoughts on this. But, you know, the, the thought Zuckerberg and team used kept using the word meaningful interactions, meaningful time, time well spent on Facebook. So maybe if you could just for our, our audience, outline some of the broad changes that Facebook is taking with newsfeed algorithm. And then how do you think that's going to impact a veterinary clinic? Sure. So it was a big change, but it wasn't a surprising change. So a lot of practices and, and business pages have probably seen their reach decrease over the past couple of months in the past few weeks in particular. So basically what they came out and said was, you know, everybody in the world's on Facebook, right? So, so many people, so many businesses, really everyone is there and there's only so much room in the news feed. People were kind of complaining or giving them feedback that they're missing content from the people they really wanted to connect with. So like their family or their best friend, they're not seeing that because there's so much other stuff out there, like the, you know, the fun viral videos or, um, you know, cat memes or whatever else. But ultimately at the end of the day, that doesn't add value to our lives, right? As, as a person or really as a business either. So they basically came out and said, Hey, sorry, business pages, you're, you're kind of going to be really limited here. So they're really going to limit um, our exposure in the news feed. So you can post things, they're just not going to get seen by people as much. But they did say three things. They said they wanted to see content from pages because they still need us, right? They still need businesses for ad revenue. <laughs> so they're not going to totally get rid of us, but they needed, um, the first thing that they recommended was content that encourages conversation. So they want people commenting on your posts. That's not going to happen sharing, you know, the same old article. The second thing was they wanted video and they wanted live video. And the third thing was, of course, they want some sort of advertisement. <laughs> so uh, we're going to have to change our strategy in terms of the content that goes out there to make sure it meets those those needs and those um, kind of things that Facebook has lined out for us. Yeah, and even to dive a little deeper, Masseri has been pretty clear that they're looking at the length of comments. <laughs> so mm -hmm. in the conversation, they and this is why I think uh, listeners need to pay attention when Zuckerberg and Masseri and these people say meaningful, because that is the algorithmic part that we don't quite fully understand, because meaningful to them right now means length of comment. Uh, it doesn't mean that you couldn't take the time to write a really long, mean comment. That's mm -hmm. going to be ranked higher in your newsfeed. So just be aware there's some gamification of that. The other thing too, though, Caitlin, um, that I took away from listening to a couple of my series uh, interviews was that video was going to be slightly downregulated. They felt like they wanted things that were interactive and they felt that video was too passive. Mm -hmm. And I think that my takeaway from that was the videos that are um, non, how do I say that? 
that don't involve people. So you've seen those like nifty or tasty videos of the like making, you know, some recipe or something or like mm. some craft. I think those have traditionally been popular and been viral, but again, they're not promoting interpersonal communication or relationship meaningful. building. <laughs> right. Not meaningful. So I think that they did specifically say, you know, they really actually prefer live video and it's hard to do live video without people, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's um, kind of in our future. Personally, I think that we're going to see a lot more TV-like content um, coming down the pipeline. And I don't mean it needs to be like a studio professional thing, but, you know, they've launched Facebook Watch and there are shows now that you can see um, from various pages and profiles. And I feel like the, they're going to maybe trend a little bit more toward that. In, and I'm so glad earlier you talked about storytelling and using social media for storytelling. And I think this fits in with what you were saying, Ernie, about length of comments and some of the most meaningful interactions I've had with clients over social media for, for our practice page are when we give them the opportunity to share their stories and their pet stories with us as right. well. Any um, thoughts or advice about how practices can engage with clients in a way that allows them to, to tell their stories and their pet stories. Sure. So the, I'll give the one caveat. The downside of that is that we're going to have to monitor some of that content, mm. right? When we're right. asking the general public, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's going to be a little bit more involvement and time that's going to be required um, to do so. But that said, you know, there's a lot of content that our, our followers and our clients have to offer that maybe we don't, you know, I'll, I'll give an example in my practice, you know, I'm local to the area, but I didn't grow up in this area and I have a, an older kind of slightly crabby dog. So we don't go to dog parks. All right. I don't, and she's not a dog that needs groom. So I don't have a personal recommendation of, you know, what's the best dog park in this area to go to. So one of uh, our engaging post was, hey guys, you know, we have this new puppy here and, and they're new to the area. They're looking for a dog park. Where do you recommend? Where do you take your dogs? And so getting that feedback from them, we got a lot of responses there. And I was like, oh, never even heard of that place. Okay, we need to check it out. But that's what the downside was. I needed to check them out. Like, does this place require vaccines and things like that? But that was an educational opportunity that I could jump back on there and say, hey, thanks for all your suggestions. Here's what we came up with. Please remember, this is what we recommend. You know, we want to make sure that they're um, requiring vaccinations. We want to make sure that they're, you know, separating areas for large dogs versus small dogs, that kind of thing. So it was really turned into something that was a teachable moment that provided real value to our clients. And I want to be clear, too. I mean, if you're listening today and you do manage or participate in your, your clinic's Facebook page, this still means ads are king. You know, we none of our advice has changed over the past three or four years in particular. You know, if you really want to penetrate your local geography, you're going to have to spend a little bit of money on ads. And I still think it is the best use of advertising or marketing dollars, uh, sure. bar none. And so for me, I just, I don't want people to think that, oh, well, if I just you know, ask about dog parks. Yeah, sudden, right. You know, oh, yeah. You know, you're sure. still going to have to promote yourself yeah. ads. I mean, honestly, you know, Caitlin, my takeaway from this is this is just another way to say, hey, businesses and pages and brands, you're going to have to continue to pay and you may even have to pay more. Yeah, it's definitely a pay to play market at this point. If you're not using Facebook advertising, you're really missing out. And, you know, some people might groan when they say, of course, they want our money. Yeah, well, no, no, at no point in the history of marketing have you had the ability to use like pennies for like three days or whatever to target your exact demographic. So there's so little commitment, so little time that 
or little money that you have to invest compared to, okay, I'm going to sign up for yellow pages and you have to pay $8,000 and you'll get to change that ad again in a year. Right. And Kaylin, even going back, you know, to, to my early days and certainly, you know, practice management advice was the newsletter, you know, being in front of your clients at least once a quarter. I mean, newsletters were incredibly expensive, time consuming mm -hmm. and largely inefficient. And so you're right when it, this is pennies per click or view. Uh, again, if you're listening today, you need to learn how to work this and be prepared to spend literally a few hundred dollars a year maybe mm -hmm. with Facebook and that can be incredibly effective. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to kind of go back to something Dr. Caitlin said as far as the monitoring of your Facebook as you open this up because I think this is an area where people get into a lot of trouble and they don't know how to handle it. So it's wonderful when there's great positive dialogue going on on your page, but mm -hmm. what do you recommend when it gets inflammatory when either people are bickering back and forth or or people are using social media as a way to bash because we've seen this cause detrimental, you know, life-ending effects for some right. veterinarians and and even detrimental for the whole practice. So um, what do you recommend when this is what's going on? Sure. So there's a few proactive things that you can do. Um, one of them is you can actually ban certain words from appearing in comments on your page. So if you go into your settings and your page moderation area, you can actually put all the like controversial, inflammatory words that you think might be a problem. Um, and I would recommend that you do that. That's a great <laughs> tip. I had no idea about that. Yeah. So uh, that would be step one. The, the second thing you can do is you can also require that comments, you have to approve the comments before they get published on the page. So that's a really uh, nice way to control these um, type of posts. But again, you're, you're going to have to ultimately dedicate some time to it. So if you don't have that time or you don't have that staff person, don't even open that can of worms, okay? I hope that you do, and I think that that will be uh, of value. Um, but if you're not going to be able to monitor things, then just don't, don't go down that road. Yeah, and one of the cautions about approving comments before posting if you as caitlin said if you can't do that in a timely fashion that also mm -hmm. frustrates yeah. people and can sure. generate some some ill will if you will absolutely and kind of bouncing off of that what what are people's expectations so say you know what do our clients expect if they try and contact us via our facebook page are they you think expecting us to give clinical advice are they expecting to just get in touch with us? Are they expecting to be able to come complain? What what are we seeing clients use that Facebook interaction for? Um, and where are some reasonable boundaries for practices to, to set? Sure. So that can run the gamut. I've seen everything from asking like, you know, what time do you open to mm -hmm. um, what's your what's your cell phone number to um, can you show that picture of that cute fluffy dog again? <laughs> like they'll ask all kinds of things. Um, I think it's vital that we set very clear boundaries. So boundary number one is there's no um, medical advice given as, about particular cases, okay? So you can easily just have a, a copy and paste kind of blanket statement that you're like, hey, I'm really sorry, but we cannot provide medical information over the internet. We would encourage you to see one of our veterinarians. Um, please call if you'd like an appointment, that kind of thing. Um, the second thing that you can do there is um, if you're using the Facebook Messenger, and again, if, if you're using it, great, but that means you have to use it, okay? Um, if you don't want to handle messages through your Facebook page, then you need to turn that function off, and that's an option. But if you use Facebook Messenger, there are similar um, kind of automatic responses that you can set up. So, hey, we're closed right now, <laughs> or, you know, we can't give information, or if this is an emergency, call this number 
for your local emergency clinic or, or things like that. So I think it's important to set up those boundaries and those um, very clear expectations right off the bat. Yeah, and that's a really good point, Caitlin. You definitely need to utilize the autoresponder features of mm-hmm. Facebook Messenger. I would also caution listeners that you don't want to be completely dependent on a platform like Facebook or any of the other social media because you don't own that. I mean, technically, right. they can take all of your content, all of your responses, and never give them back to you. And there's right. a lot of weird scenarios that people have been proposing over the past few years about why you don't want to be vulnerable in those spaces. So just, you know, again, I'm, I'm in completely agreement with Caitlin. You want to use these things, but use them cautiously. And we're talking a lot about how to use social media specifically with the practice, but we know that our employees are also using social media in their personal lives, and sometimes that can interact with their professional lives in interesting ways. Any insights or lessons learned you have from uh, from your consulting business? Sure. So that is a common question and or concern and or problem that, that I've encountered um, from a variety of clinics, and it's different at every practice, but I think the number one thing that all practices need to think about is they need to have a social media policy, and that needs to be a part of every employee's handbook. Um, and every employee needs to be aware of it if, they, if they're not already. Um, that policy needs to clearly state not only the expectations and the goals and who's doing what um, for the practice of social media, but it needs to be pretty clear cut on what they can do while they're in your practice. So are they allowed to take pictures? Are they allowed to post them? Are they um, allowed to tag your business? You know, those kind of things. Again, it might be totally different based on your practice and your staff, but you need to know what those things are and you need to set those rules up. And at some point, you need to maybe do a little spot check and say, okay, are I'm going to kind of creep on their profiles a little bit uh, and make sure that those things aren't happening. And if they are, you need to address that because that opens up some degree of liability um, for our practice owners. So, Caitlin, uh, as we sort of wrap things up today, I wanted to get uh, one quick thing from you. You know, for me, the biggest mistake that most clinics have made on on Facebook in particular, and obviously there's lots of them, but they haven't secured like the rights and control. So we still have a lot of clinics where like a manager or a technician set up the Facebook account. And then if things fall apart with that relationship, they take their account with them. So I want you to make sure if you're listening today, that the ownership is clear of the Facebook page. What are some of the other common pitfalls, mistakes, or things that you'd like to see corrected in, in your experience in, around Facebook? Yeah, so you're, I, I'd like to kind of tie into that a little bit. Um, I think every practice owner, whether they're going to use the page or not, needs to be an admin of their Facebook page because ultimately they own that and they right, are, right. Um, that represents their practice. I think that it's fine for you know another, um, the practice manager or the veterinarian or whatever to be uh, an admin, but everybody else can be an editor. And so editors can do, that's a type of a page role. Everything that needs to be done on a page, they can do with that status without having the ability to delete the page or to add or delete other other people to have access to the page. So I think that's really important. Um, I think really having a clear cut strategy. So here's the rules, but here's what we're trying to do. Every practice, you know, it doesn't help if you're just sharing 
you know, cute memes or a rescue articles. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's your goal? Is your goal to get new clients? Is your goal to be bonded more loyally to the clients you have? Is your goal to educate? What is your goal? And the, and the whole team needs to know that and, and be on board with that. And Caitlin, one thing too, just maybe you could explore a little further is most people listening to this today are going, well, yeah, all of those things. And, <laughs> right. and yet that's a little trickier to pull off in real life. It is. It is. I think it's reasonable to have a, a mix. Okay. So for most practices, that's what it is. It's going to be a mix of personalization, of promotion, and of the actual getting new clients. And that's fine. Um, but again, knowing what percentage of our content needs to be promotional, what percentage of it do we want to be just cute puppy pictures? Um, kind of making sure that you hit all those things in a week. Okay, well, we only shared puppy pictures. Well, that didn't really bring any educational value this week. So we need to you know, tinker with our strategy a little bit. Fantastic. And I think you've kind of shared some really great don'ts with us. Mm -hmm. If you could give our our listeners one great takeaway of something they should be doing, if you could wave your magic wand and have everybody be doing one thing (laughs) on social media, what would it be? The one thing that I would probably have everyone do is to take a 30-second video of themselves in their practice and telling them why you're there. Why did you become a veterinarian? Why are you passionate about your job? 30 second video is going to be so impactful and it's really going to give your clients insight into what makes you you and that's what they want to know and that's um, how they're going to trust and learn to love you I hope. Amazing. Thank you so much Caitlin for for joining us here today for all those insights. Thanks again. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. I mean, what about this new world of social media? We're still young in this age. And what does that mean for veterinary practice moving forward? What are some of your best practices? Have you had a social media success story or maybe something that kind of went sideways? We want to hear from you. Please go ahead and share your stories with us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. We'd also love to hear what you're thinking of the podcast, what other topics you'd like to hear. Leave us a review, especially on iTunes. We'd love to, to hear what you think. It only takes a couple seconds to leave us four or five stars. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. 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 Bye.